Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, what's cracking? And welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I am your host, Darren McDuffie. And tonight, we have a really good show. I know it's already going to be a classic. It's the whole story with Dr. Kayla T. Daniel. I've heard her speak on several different podcasts. Actually, she gave me the lowdown on soy um, a couple of years ago through following someone else's show, but I wanted to get on. I know there's always someone out there who needs the message, who needs to hear what's going on in the health world. Before we get to the show, um, just wanted to share with you, as always, social media, connect with me so you'll know where all the show, when all the shows happen. You can connect with me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash I'm the fat man and fat is spelled with a PH. Also, uh, with, uh, Twitter, I'm on Twitter as the fat underscore man. And then, um, on Pinterest, I finally found out what my Pinterest handle is. So it's Pinterest.com slash I'm the fat man again. And you can you can also follow me on Instagram on I'm the fat man. And what happened this week? Last Thursday, I injured my rotator cuff. Just wanted to share that with you guys. I work out a lot and it's kind of slowed me down. So I haven't been able to work out. So I'm not in the, the best of moods, but I always get in a good mood for the show. So I wanted to share that with you because it's kind of put a damper on my spirits, but I guess I'll have to work around it. But without further ado, I'm so glad that I could get Dr. Kayla T. Daniel on the show to talk about her book, The Whole Soy Story. And tonight we're going to be really informed about what's going on, especially when it comes to soy. So let me see if I can bring her on. Welcome to Perkley Healthy and Tone Radio, Dr. Kayla. Uh, hi, Darren. It's an honor to be on your show. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And the question I always ask people is, how did they get started in nutrition? So give us your background and, and how you, you got started in doing what you do. Well, like a lot of us in the field, I got started because I wasn't very healthy. And I was determined to find the answer. And I was looking at particularly at nutrition, and I tried every diet that was out there. I tried the juice diets and the raw vegan diets and the food combining, Ayurvedic, macrobiotic, you name the diet, I tried it. And I finally found my way to an omnivorous diet uh, and now to an omnivorous diet that not only includes lots of meat but lots of good healthy fat as well. Well, great, great. I'm so glad you... You said something about meat. I wrote a blog post a long time ago called I'm a Megan because I love meat. And I know that we've been uh, we've been kind of shied away from meat and everything about meat is bad. So I'm glad that someone shares my love of meat. Um, I shared something on Instagram. Uh, I think that was Monday uh, about soy milk. And a couple of years ago, before I heard you speak, um, I was a big consumer of soy milk just because I was lactose intolerant. And when I started drinking soy, I noticed two things. One was that I would always get moody. And two was I could not get rid of the fat around my midsection. So my first question is, is, is soy a health food? 
Well, there's more than 70 years of studies that link soy to malnutrition, digestive distress, immune system breakdown, attention deficit disorders, uh, mood swings and mood disorders, uh, even heart disease and cancer. Oh, and all sorts of reproductive problems, both for men and women, including loss of libido. Now, does that all sound healthy to you? No, it doesn't sound healthy at all, and I wanted to get into a a lot more of those questions later. But one of the things that you always hear is uh, the Asian culture. Like, Asians eat a a ton of soy, and that's why they're so healthy. Is that true, or is that a false assumption that we've been told? Well, Asia is a huge continent with many people and many dietary and lifestyle customs. But wherever we go in Asia, we find that traditionally soy was eaten in the diet as a condiment and not as a staple food. And uh, what's more, they were eating small amounts of old-fashioned soy foods, things like natto, tempeh, miso, um, and a little tofu. They were not eating modern soy foods, which came in after World War II. They were not doing soy shakes and powders and energy bars. They were not eating whole bags of edamame, which might seem like a natural thing, but it wasn't traditional. They weren't eating whole blocks of tofu. They were eating a few little cubes. And what's really surprising to a lot of people, they were not really uh, drinking cups and cups and cups of soy milk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, with with soy... One of the things that you mentioned was the fact that it has um, low libido. It lowers the libido. That's one of the effects of it. But can you kind of elaborate on the other effects it might have on men and women? Well, one of the biggest effects, and one people see see early on in most cases, is it uh, it has adverse effects on the thyroid, most often manifesting as hypothyroidism or low thyroid with the symptoms of weight gain, fatigue, lethargy, and malaise. But sometimes we see hyperthyroidism, and sometimes people initially think they got more energy, but they're just getting hyper, and that puts enormous stress on the thyroid. And some of those people find it crashes. They're in thyroid storms, and some people are hyper for a little while, and then long-term it goes into low thyroid. Also, all the autoimmune thyroid disorders, soy makes all of them worse. Wow, wow. Now, with uh, with women, I know that soy also increases their estrogen, and what you see, as well as a lot of hypothyroidism, as well as uh, hyperthyroidism, you see a lot of what I call estrogenic-type diseases, you know, fibroids, endometriosis, all those other diseases. Why is this actually happening? Well, the thing about soy and women is sometimes the soy is pro-estrogenic and sometimes it's anti-estrogenic. And that's what makes it so confusing for people trying to know what to do. And that's why we hear all these stories about how soy can prevent breast cancer and how it's good to help us through menopause. But the fact is um, those are possibilities that are not proven And we have proven risks, including particularly that adverse effect on the thyroid we talked about. And in terms of breast cancer risk, uh, soy does increase breast cell proliferation, and that's a known risk factor. Yeah. Well, I 
I got a question for you, and I was going through something on YouTube and preparing for the interview, and I looked at a YouTube video, and there was a doctor on there, and he was talking about how beneficial soy is in treating cancer. And I remember him specifically mentioning prostate cancer is one of the things soy is helpful for. Is this is that actually true? Well, it's a big if, and if it does help with prostate cancer, the reason is that it lowers testosterone. So if most guys knew that, I don't think they would would see soy as a desirable remedy. Yeah, I know that um, for me personally, that was one of the things that I noticed as well, is that I tended to be a lot weaker, and I guess because of low testosterone, that's why I was kind of getting um, moody. And and I know I was glad when they came out of the alternative to uh, almond milk. But my question is, why has this been allowed to go on and be monetized? Why is soy still being monetized when we know it's not healthy for us? Well, that word monetized kind of tells you the answer to that. Uh, It's making a lot of money for a lot of people. So soy is being very heavily marketed as a health food and a whole lot of people whose instincts are that they don't like it and don't want it are being convinced to drink a lot of soy milk and eat soy energy bars and otherwise up their consumption of soy thinking it's a health food. Mm-hmm. What about um, soy protein? I know that there are still people out there who are consuming soy protein. What are the dangers of, of consuming that type of protein? I think any sort of fractionated protein products, such as we find in um, energy bars and shake powders, is a problem. But soy protein powders are particularly problematic. And first of all, there's nothing traditional about a soy protein powder. Uh, They were first able to make those after World War II, so we're talking modern technology. We're talking hexane solvents and carcinogens and toxins. We're talking high heat pressure, uh, many, many factors that, that make the soy protein dangerous for our health. It's a modern, modern product, a junk food product. Yeah. Um, question for you with regards to soy lecithin. I see that in a lot of products, including organic products. Is that a danger or is that something that we can consume in moderation? I don't usually worry about soy lecithin. It It is a waste product from soy oil manufacturer, but uh, when you see it in, in um, packaged foods or chocolate, for example, it's usually a very small quantity. Most of us don't have to worry about it, but certainly we should be decreasing our consumption of anything that's in a package, anything that's got an ingredient list. Now, the people who do need to worry about that would be people who have soy allergies, and there's more and more of those people. Soy is now in the top eight allergies, and it will soon be in the top four. Why is that? Because I remember on the uh, in my past life, I used to work for a food sensitivity testing lab, and I know that was always one of our biggest uh, allergens. So it was soy, milk, and uh, wheat were probably the top three, and then tomatoes and something else. But why is soy such a, a common allergen with most people? Well, the reason they're increasing, uh, it used to be you know, in the top 15, then top 11, top 8, now uh, soon to be in the top four. Uh, In 1998, uh, genetically modified soybeans came on the market. 
And at that point, many, many more people started reacting to soy, soy proteins. So that's the reason, and then you combine that with the fact that soy is in more than 60% of packaged and processed foods and about 100% of fast foods. So more and more people are exposed to soy, and a lot of it's GMO. Yeah. Now, we mentioned soy lecithin and, and uh, other soy milk. But what are some of the other aliases that soy can um, actually come under? Because a lot of people don't know. They look at the packaging, and sometimes they'll disguise, you know, what soy is. But what are some of those other aliases that um, they can package soy under? Well, some of them would be things like hydrolyzed plant protein, textured vegetable protein, so some of those would be uh, normally soy, but we do have some good news. Um, there is an allergy labeling act that means people are required to put soy on the package. So we have some protection, but people who are severely allergic have to be extremely vigilant because of cross-contamination and other, other issues. Yeah. What about, um, let's talk a little bit about the soy with regards to infant formula. This is something that I read in your book, and I was uh, kind of shocked by it. But um, what are the dangers of the soy in, in infant formula? And I know that there are a lot of mothers out there who don't believe in breastfeeding, but they will give their kids the soy infant formula. And what what's the danger of that? Well, there's a lot of parents who end up giving their 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 baby's soy formula because the babies are allergic to the milk formula. And then we have a lot of vegans who think that they want their baby to be reared on a plant-based formula. So there's a whole lot of people doing it, some just from the bad advice of their pediatricians. And the reason this is so terrible for the babies is that when a baby is born, whether it's a little girl or a little boy, uh, it's right from the beginning being programmed for puberty. So all those soy estrogens can affect, say, the little boy's testosterone. And we won't see the effects until the boy is a teenager and he's not maturing properly. So it's really hard to figure the cause and effect there. And with the little girls, they're overly estrogenized, and we're seeing more and more girls going through puberty when they're around 10 years old, and uh, that's putting them at risk for many, many things, including just not having a normal childhood. But what we have to always think about with these little babies is is what a critical period that is in their lives in terms of their brains and bodies developing. And Mother Nature puts certain hormones in there for a reason. And unfortunately, the soy estrogens can really create some uh, disruption and hormone havoc that, that no baby should have. Yeah. Um, with regards to the the children, um, is there any alternative, like if a mother doesn't want to breastfeed, can they make something? Do you know of any alternative so they won't have to use soy milk? My children are adopted, and I made a homemade formula. And at the Weston A. Price Foundation's website, westonaprice.org, People can find some recipes for homemade formula, and it's not very hard once you get the hang of it, and you'll have a very, very healthy baby. Yeah. What's the base? What's the base for that? Is it like a, a dairy base, or for that formula, or how is it based? Um, most of them are the dairy base, preferably with um, clean, good raw milk from pastured cows. Know mm -hmm. your farmer. Know the cows. 
Um, but there are some babies that cannot tolerate any dairy, even the high-quality dairy. So for them, it's a meat-based formula. And this may surprise people, but Gerber, before it took up soy, soy formula, offered a meat-based formula for, for the really allergic babies. So that's a wonderful solution. Meat, a meat-based formula, is that based upon like a, a beef formula? How is, that, how is that done? That's very interesting. Well, there's several possibilities and even a little liver in there. Um, but um, parents can make it themselves, and um, very, very few babies are allergic to the meat. Yeah, I would, I would guess so. But that's very interesting because I know I'd heard about the, um, you know, being able to make your own formula, but I never heard about the, uh, the meat-based formula. One thing I also found very interesting out of your book because I had Dr. Shauna Young on the show and she was talking about autism and she talked about manganese toxicity and how she took um, a child who had this type of toxicity and was suffering from autism and kind of worked with him to be able to uh, help him kind of live a more normal life. But um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about manganese toxicity as it relates to soy um, in your from your book. Yes, uh, soy has uh, soybeans have 50 to 80 times the amount of manganese than that you would find in, say, a milk-based formula or breast milk. So for a little baby in the first six months of life, the baby's um, brain and liver are not able to handle that load of manganese. So it can build up and it can um, contribute to all sorts of um Brain disorders such as attention deficit disorder, so definitely a risk there. Yeah. With um, have you ever seen any um, type of relationship or link? Or is anybody talking about relationship to soy and autism? Is there any link out there? there? Uh, there has been some discussion with that. Um, not a lot. Not a lot of studies. Uh, and I think with autism, there it's always multifactorial. Certainly, soy infant formula makes it worse. And there are some studies having to do with soy infant formula contributing towards uh, seizures, and autistic children are more seizure prone. So there's there's some links there as well. Great, great. Um, what about um, heavy metals? You went over this in your your book, and uh, you talked specifically about fluoride. You talked about aluminum, and I know that there's a link, especially with aluminum, where they're you know when they're talking about aluminum and Alzheimer's, aluminum and dementia. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about uh, heavy metal toxicity as it relates to uh, soy. Some of the soy processing methods can increase the exposure to to aluminum. Um, also to fluoride, uh, to to many, many toxins. So that would be a factor. Packaging could contribute towards the aluminum load, and it just goes on and on. But, of course, we have high levels of aluminum in a whole lot of packaged and processed foods today as well. Um, Who is most at risk for eating soy? I know that there's uh, vegans out there, vegetarians, and one of the things I'm always kind of astounded by is when I go to the store and they have these packaged soy, soy, uh, not soy, but vegan foods, and you look on the ingredients, and some of the ingredients are really, really bad. But are are there still 
vegans out there who are eating eating soy without knowing the health consequences? Uh, yes, they they somehow believe that because it's from a plant that it's got to be healthy and good for us. And I always joke, well, poison ivy is also a plant. But uh, they're not listening to me, and they are a high-risk group because some of them are eating soy for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks, particularly if they're trying to do a high-protein diet that's vegan. That usually compels them to start eating a whole lot of soy. So uh, they are an at-risk population. The British Committee on um, uh, Toxins in the Environment talked about thyroid disease being particularly prevalent in in that group of people, and so it goes. Yeah. What about um, soy as it pertains to um, the different health effects? What types of ill health effects have you seen for people who constantly consume soy? I know we just talked about vegans, but what are some of the effects? And I know I mentioned, you know, what I experienced with the moodiness and um, just the the pudginess around the middle that I could never get rid of until I stopped actually uh, consuming it. But what are some of the other ill health effects uh, other than just thyroid conditions that people may not know that they that they are encountering from drinking or eating soy? Many people first experience uh, digestive distress, and in a way, they're the lucky ones because if if you eat some soy, um, say you go to a potluck and you eat a lot of tofu, and then you have a real bellyache later, and then it happens again, you're going to get the message that you're not well served by this particular food. Uh, so digestive distress is often the first thing people notice, but those people might stop. Thyroid would be the next thing uh, to look out for, and that wouldn't be an overnight thing, uh, but gradually some people start to feel more tired, and then they go to their doctors, and the doctor says, well, what do you expect? You're middle-aged now, and uh, it's not connected with the thyroid, but in many cases, soy makes matters much, much worse. But there's reproductive problems. Many, many women uh, will point to menstrual cycles that become very long. They're anovulatory, uh, loss of libido, of course, um, uh, ferocious uh, premenstrual stress. I mean, watch out. And with guys, there's a feminizing effect, um, loss of interest in sex, and some of those guys actually think they're enlightened. (laughs) And I, I get that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I had a gentleman that um, I did a YouTube video on soy a long, long time ago. I had a gentleman chime in about, um, what's it called, gyna, gynomastachia or whatever. I can't remember. Gynecomastia and, Gynecomastia. you know, more moobs, man boobs. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing a lot of those in men who consume a lot of soy. So it's not just the belly fat, it's the moobs. <laughs> yeah, the boobs. What about restaurants, and I've encountered this a lot, is soy oil. And um, I guess you have to ask because I've asked, you know, what they cook their stuff in. But is there a danger with with the soy oil as well? Soy oil is a horrible oil. Uh, It's a vegetable oil. If it's the normal supermarket version, uh, it's going to be GMO soybeans and 
it's going to be highly processed oil uh, with that's been actually deodorized, so you don't you're not noticing the rancidity. You know, it's deodorized into a bland smell that doesn't offend offend people. So we don't want that, but nor do we want canola oil and just about any oil they're going to use in a restaurant is not going to be too good for us. I'm afraid. Okay. What's the best oil for for you to use when you're when you're cooking? What what are you well, using? Well, I've got coconut oil. I've got lots of good bacon fat, uh, tallow, uh, olive oil. So different options depending on my recipe. Uh, but some of those are some of the some of the healthiest. They don't go rancid, and they impart a really good flavor to your food. You'll have a great reputation as a cook. How do you get your bacon fat? You just render it off of your when you cook bacon. Well, I'm a bacon babe, so you know I'm always cooking <laughs> bacon. <laughs> and and part of the best thing about that is, yeah, I pour off the fat into a little cup that's on my counter, and then I'll fry up eggs and other good food with it. My grandmother used, used to do that. Yeah, well, you know, she was she was a wise woman, and cook a lot of things with butter too. People complain that they don't know how to get their kids to eat vegetables. Well, um, as Julia Child says, um, cook the vegetable and add as much butter as it will hold. Yeah, I mean, everybody <laughs> seems to be going back to uh, to butter now. I, think, I believe Time Magazine did a big article on butter. I, I think it was about a year or two ago. And uh, now everybody seems to be going back to butter and preferring that over the uh, margarine. So it's many of us are getting smart, and it's glad to see a lot of people waking up. Have you recently seen? I, I've seen this on Facebook. I don't know how true it is, but how McDonald's profits are going down. I saw that. Uh, that's certainly good news. Yeah, it is because it means a lot of people are actually waking up. Um, Iso, am I pronouncing this right? Isoflavones, is that correct? Yes, those okay. are Can... the the plant estrogens, and we find them in all soybeans, whether it's organic soybeans or commercial or GMO. There's always those isoflavones or phytoestrogens in there. Okay, and what's the danger of those? Well, they're not true human estrogens, but they're close enough. They're like cousins, or they're like a key that will go in a lock, but you can't turn it. So they can fool the body, and some of the effects are sometimes pro-estrogenic, sometimes anti-estrogenic. Uh, sometimes it affects hormone production, sometimes the utilization of hormones in the body. Uh, they create a lot of hormonal havoc. Yeah. I've noticed that um, in menopausal women, they tend to give them soy. Why is that? There are some studies, and the studies on soy and menopause are actually inconsistent and contradictory. But there have been some reports that women have fewer hot flashes and they more go through menopause more comfortably. And some women also report that. But here's the thing. We have all sorts of evidence that soy is devastating to the thyroid, so I don't think it's worth the risk. Yeah, I don't think it's it's worth the risk either. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask about was uh, lecithins, or not lecithins, lectins, I'm sorry, and um, just the soy and the, the lectins and, and how that is uh, intertwined. 
Well, the soybean contains a whole lot of different uh, components that are known as anti-nutrients. So they uh, are anti-nutrition. And some of those include phytase inhibitors, which um, make it hard to digest protein. So there's protein in the soybean, but it's hard to digest because of the phytase, uh, phytate inhibitors, rather. Phytase is the enzyme that we want, so the phytate, uh, the phytates um, are, are a problem with uh, digesting minerals and assimilating minerals well. So we have the protease inhibitors making it hard to digest protein. We have the phytates making it hard to absorb minerals. And then we have lectins and we have saponins and we have oligosaccharides. They're the fun ones. They're the ones that give us a lot of flatulence and gas. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of these components are naturally in the soybean. Yeah, and um, they also, from reading your book, I just found out that they also stop mineral, mineral absorption. Is that correct? The phytates do, yes. Okay, so they're one of the big things as far as calcium and other types of minerals where it kind of blocks those from the body absorbing those. Yes, yeah, so somebody goes and buys soy milk. Uh, they think they can't digest uh, dairy milk, and maybe they can't. So they're thinking, I should drink soy milk whether I like it or not because there's calcium in there. Well, there's calcium, all right, but it's supplemental calcium. It's the cheapest form possible, cheap, hard to absorb anyway. And then the soy milk has the phytates in there because they never took them out in the manufacturing process, so the phytates are making it hard to to make use of the calcium that's hard to absorb to begin with, so double whammy. Yeah, yeah. The last question I have for you, um, Dr. Kayla, was um, I was reading the book and I saw about methionine. And the only reason why I paid attention to this is because I had Denise Manger on last week or the week before. Yeah, last week. And she was talking, we were talking about meat and we were talking about methionine. And um, it just caught my eye in the book. First of all, what is methionine and why must it be added to a soy formula? Well, it's called methionine. And methionine, it's a, I'm sorry. It's an essential amino acid. Uh, we have to have it, and babies have to have it in order to grow well. And it's low in the soybeans. So soy infant formula is required by law uh, to have added methionine so the babies will grow properly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about mispronouncing that. Sometimes these words is like oh, oh that's you know. okay. There's there's um lots of fun words to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all, like it's always you're sitting down trying to figure out these words, and I'm trying to do it like I'm in fifth grade again, like put the words together and say them right, and they never come out correctly. So it's always a good adventure. <laughs> well, it's clear what you meant, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all the questions I had for you. I know your book has a ton of good information. When I have people on, I don't want to give everything about the book. If you want to get the book, it's called The Whole Soy Story. You can pick it up on Amazon, which is what I did. And it's it's quite the read. And you go from everything from A to Z with The Whole uh, Soy Story. And you have a new book out as well, right? I do. The new book is one I co-authored with Sally Fallon Morell. It's called Nourishing Broth, an Old-Fashioned Remedy for the Modern World. 
Yeah, and I'm big into broth. I I would love to have you come back and talk just about broth on on the show because I know there's a lot of people out there unaware about the effects of or the benefits of broth, and I try to drink a cup every morning. Sometimes I don't get around to it, but generally I try to make sure I drink a cup within a week, two cups, three cups within the whole week. Well, it's great, and right now I would I would drink even more broth, Darren, because you've got an athletic injury to heal, and there's nothing better than broth to heal injuries, to heal wounds, uh, leaky gut, or anything that ails you. Yeah, I have leaky gut, and now I have this rotator cuff tear, so i got to deal with that. So I will definitely be drinking me probably more than one or two cups tomorrow <laughs> to make up for missing to missing today. But I'd love to have you back on and talk about the um, talk about broth. And for people to, what's your website, Dr. Kayla, if anyone wants to check out your website? Um, my website is drkayladaniel.com. And we also have the website nourishingbroth.com where we're building a community of broth drinkers. Oh, I'm going to have to check out Nourishing Broth. I want to write that down. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say about soy? Uh, I would suggest that because I'm the naughty nutritionist and I'm kind of outrageous, I would say practice safe soy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I just did a video on safe sex and personal lubricants and stuff like that. I love that. But thank you for your time, Dr. Kayla. And like I, like I said, again, I'd love to have you back on and talk about um, nourishing broth and, and whatever else you're doing at that time, okay? Thank you. All right. Have a great night. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Great show. The book, like I said, is The Whole Soy Story with Dr. Kayla T. Daniel. Really good book. Um, you're going to have to set aside some hours to read this. Uh, it's not one of those books that you're going to pick up and read uh, within a day or so, but it's well worth the read because it gives you just about everything you need to know on soy. And if you're someone who's out there contemplating eating soy or you haven't eating soy and just think that you should still be on it, the book will change your mind uh, completely about that. Next week, um, I'm waiting to confirm a guest, uh, Tara Gessling, the 180-degree wellness revolution. She has quite the story about how she was in a wheelchair and kind of transformed her life and became a nutritionist. So I'm waiting for her to confirm. We kind of spoke today over Facebook, and uh, she's been out of town. So as soon as she confirms, that'll be next Wednesday's show. And then in the, I, I, I wanted to do this in May but I don't know if it's going to happen. It may happen in uh, June, and that's to do two shows a week. So I'm, I'll be working on the scheduling of two guests per week. It'll be Monday and Wednesdays. As always, you can listen to the show in iTunes. Uh, if you missed the show, if you want to download and listen to it at the gym, you can just go to iTunes and type in Fat Man Radio. You'll find me. You can download the shows and put them in your iPod and listen to them at any time. Uh, I know what I used to do when I started out in the health world was I would listen to other people's shows and put them on my iPod and plug them in my and listen to them on my way to work. Instead of listening to the music, I would just transfer my car into a classroom and really listen to health podcasts and what I needed to do to kind of uh, change my health. Uh, 
The week after next, uh, we will have Becca Tibon on. Becca Tibon is a fitness person down here in my neck of the woods in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, Florida, who's doing some great things. But we'll not only be talking about fitness for women, but we'll also be talking about just general things that you can do when it comes to eating and nutrition. So that'll be the second week. And then the third week, what I'm hoping to have on is Corey. I can't remember. I think it's Corey Brackett is her last name. And Corey did a documentary called Sweet Misery. Changed my whole landscape when it came to sodas. One of the big reasons why I gave up sodas. And I never was a big diet soda drinker, but um, she kind of exposes the whole diet soda world for what it is. Very, very good uh, documentary. And you can check it out on YouTube, matter of fact. But she'll be on hopefully the third week of May to talk about that. And then I don't know who will be on at the end of the month. So just wanted to inform you of upcoming shows. But tonight was a great show. Whole Source Story. Visit Dr. Kelly C. Daniels' website and also uh, go get the book. Get the whole story story go to amazon and check out the book and i normally buy used copies of books because they're much cheaper and most of the time they're in very very good condition just to give you some tips to save you some money if you want to end up buying any of the books so next week next wednesday same fat time same fat channel i'll see you next week peace and love and thanks for listening good night